0: Well, good morning. good morning. Well, open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. It's a great day to celebrate the first birthday of VCE. I think this week so many of us understood that there's a great celebration in heaven too, when Billy Graham went home. And I just imagine the angels were celebrating greatly for his life and ministry. And many of us were touched by his life. When I was a college student in uh, Dallas, Texas at an event called Explo 72, 80,000 college students there, Billy Graham stood at the final message saying, who will follow Jesus anywhere in the world to serve him faithfully? And as 7, 000, or 79,990 some people stood, I sat because the question was, would I really willing to do that? And I remember I sat during that time, and all the way home in the bus, I raised the question, Am I really willing to do that? And he really impacted my life to wrestle with that question. For those who came to Christ through him, it said that he preached to maybe 250 million people, and so many trusted in Christ. It was a great celebration in heaven. Just a reminder of how God used men and women in ministry just like that, and he needs to continue that in the future. Let me open a word of prayer. I know Pastor Tim prayed, but just sort of my practice that I enjoy just bringing the Spirit in and encouraging us in our walk with the Lord as we study the Word. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we give you thanks for the power of the Word of God. Boy, the Word has the power, the ability to cut all the way down to bone and joint and ligament and marrow. Lord, we invite the Spirit to do that today when it illuminates the Word of God for us. There's that way that you do heart surgery for us that we don't anticipate. There's a way that you give us insight into our own hearts, minds, and lives, our motives, our attitudes, our ambitions, challenged by the Word of God. And our desire is that your Spirit does that today. So we invite the Spirit to come in, whatever he may need to do. Maybe bring some comfort to some soul, maybe some encouragement in their walk with you. Whether there's an exhortation of correction, but whatever it may be, Lord, let us find ourselves submitting to the Word. And submitting to your spirit to do what you want to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we all had cuts and bruises and Band-Aids and things, but I remember as a kid one wound that I had that was really painful. I delivered the Washington Post as a kid, and one of the things they allowed you to do was to buy this really nice, expensive wagon. And occasionally I'd get a friend to help me deliver the newspapers. And I remember on this one day I was finishing up the route, and when we finished the route we had this nice hill that we would be able to go down. But the better way to go down the hill was as fast as you could. So I put my front friend in the front, and he was steering it. I got behind, and I pushed it as fast as I could. And then I went to jump into it. Now, oh, you need to know this. I was also barefooted on a sidewalk. So I jumped to jump into that thing, and I missed. And my right foot came down right behind it going as fast as I could, and I caught that, you know that big callus behind the big toe? I caught that on that concrete and it just ripped it off and it's just flapping, just flapping like, oh no. Oh, and it hurt and it bled, oh, it hurt and it bled. My friend graciously put me into into the um, wagon and pulled me all the way home, went to the emergency room, No stitches. They just cut that piece of skin off, (laughs) scrubbed it, and cleaned it up. I thought they used steel wool, but they scrubbed it, cleaned it up. And then they put this stuff on it, and then they bandaged it up. And then you had to wait to have it heal. And all that healing time it took. Oh, all all from that wound on my foot. I still walk a little funny, (laughs) but I was wounded at that time. It's interesting we start talking about wounds. We got a passage of scripture here where a bunch of people were actually wounded in the church. Uh, Somehow they, in the church here, in the book of Acts, I mean, this early church, this wonderful church that everybody wants to be a part of, and there's a group of people that get wounded in that church. They get hurt. There's division there. There's trouble there. And somehow people don't feel like they're cared for and loved. Somehow if we were all part of that early New Testament church, and we were part of that congregation, we'd watch people get hurt and wounded. Amazing. Who would have thought people get hurt and wounded in the church? Can you imagine that? People actually get wounded. Wounded. In the church. We sort of wonder ourselves, what do we do when we get wounded? How do we handle that? Interesting what happens here in Acts chapter 6. Take note in the first verse what's actually occurring. When all of this takes place, here's what we read in verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, this is a growing church. Everything's going great. Remember on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are at it. We read in Acts chapter 4, another 5,000 men are there. It's like, well, this is a church. This is a mega church. There's somewhere maybe between 10, 12, 14,000 people And multitudes are being added and added and added, and it's during this time. And what happens when things grow? Your organizational structure has to change. If it grows real fast, you're not ready for the growth. I mean, what you have is you've got your structure here, and all of a sudden your growth is out here, and it starts collapsing on itself until you take that infrastructure and expand it out that can support the large church that they were, but they weren't there yet. It just identifies all of a sudden, here's what's it's going to happen when churches are growing. And then it says, take note of this, because there's a division in the church. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. So there's two kinds of people in this church. The native Hebrews are the ones who speak Hebrew and probably Aramaic. They're from Jerusalem. They were there on the day of Pentecost, probably. And here they are in their culture and all that they have. But there's another group of people. These are the Hellenistic Jewish people. What's different about them? Oh, they're Jewish, but they speak Greek. They're a little different. So you bring them to the church, and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. No question about that. But but there's still that, there's just some historical tensions between the two. And that tension creates a division in the church. And we all understand this. I mean, we all find ourselves that there's foods we like, there's languages we enjoy, we speak our own language, but but food's really important. So just imagine a potluck they're having. Okay, The Jewish people come and they bring all their food. Whoa, this looks great. And you're from Greece. What is that? I don't know if I want to eat that. Well, that's the potluck. And there's favorite foods you have from your own country, your own culture. When I visit missionaries, I was teaching over in Russia. And you always, if you go to another country and visit missionaries, contact them in advance and ask them, is there anything you would like? Because there's stuff you can bring in that they cannot get there. And do you know what you cannot get in Russia? Peanut butter. It's like, can you bring peanut butter? It's like, what? Bring me peanut butter. What kind do you want? Jif, Skippy, or the cheapest I can find? They all have their preferences. And you bring peanut butter to them. Just imagine this potluck with no peanut butter. Whoa, what are we going to eat? And there's this division that takes, and you just find it just in their language. They have accents. They talk a little different. Probably dress a little different. Look a little different. And there's this division in the church. So all of a sudden, you've got a church that there's division in the church. not intentional. It's just the reality of the culture. And they're a growing church. So what happens? Here's what we read in verse 1. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native here because why? Their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, we have to understand the serving here. It actually talks about a table, and there's two kinds of tables you can have. You can have a table which you actually have food on, so you sort of distribute distribution of food. There's another kind of table. That kind of table is the one we read in the New Testament in the, the temple of the money changers table. That's where you got the distribution of funds. Now, we're not sure which one it was, but somehow there was this distribution going out to the people of need in the church. Everybody was being taken care of. All those Jewish Palestinian Jews were being taken care of. And somebody woke up and looked out and said, you know what? Our Hellenistic widows are being overlooked. They're being neglected. They're not being cared for. And all of a sudden, You start realizing there's this wound, this issue taking place, that somehow there's some people in the church that are not being cared for. Uh, Somehow they're being neglected, disregarded, not paid attention to. Somehow in their personal life, it's like, "What did I do wrong that you don't care about me?" Isn't that when we get wounded in the church? Don't you feel wounded when you, you sense nobody cares? You go through a difficult time, and nobody cares. You spend time in the hospital, and nobody cares. There's a death in your family, and nobody cares. You go to a potluck and sit by yourself, and nobody cares. You're new to the church, and it seems like nobody cares. Don't you feel a sense of being wounded when you feel like nobody cares? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. Isn't that what the church is for? We're supposed to be marked by love for one another, but nobody seems to love me. Somehow I get overlooked. I get neglected. In fact, I could come in, sit down here every week. Oh, we do that greeting thing, but it doesn't mean anything. You're nice to me there. But as soon as I get up, you don't talk to me. I can walk right out those doors, right out that door, and nobody cares. I'm home all week by myself. I'm not in a community group. Nobody checks in on me. Nobody cares. And we feel wounded. We feel wounded by the church. Why? Because nobody cares. And who's being wounded here? The widows. Who speaks up for a widow? Who advocates for a widow? Who comes to the people in the church and says, hey, 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 don't forget. And Name her by name. Who remembers the widow? Her husband's not around do anymore. She has no kids around. Who speaks up for the widow when she's being neglected and not cared for? There's a lot of other people like that. What it is is we need to understand there's different kinds of wounds we have in the church. There's the personal wounds we have when some other church doesn't care for me. It's that widow that's being overlooked. She's been in the church, her and her husband for years, faithful to the ministry all these years. Then her husband passes away. And that somehow, she's just sort of... Somehow, she's not remembered. Somehow, she's overlooked. Somehow, she's neglected. And nobody cares. It's not just widows. I think for women in the church who are single, I think they feel neglected and overlooked. Everything's for the family. Everything's for family and kids. What do I do if I'm single? And a woman who speaks for me. What happens for the widower? Who cares for him? A single man who enjoys a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Who shows a care for him, being single and overlooked? Oh, there's more to these widows here when we feel this personal wound. It identifies it. they apparently don't speak the language quite right, and they've got an accent. They're a minority. They don't fit in culturally with everything. They think a little differently. They dress a little differently. They behave a little differently. We're not sure how to handle that. So we just sort of overlook them, neglect them, disregard them. And there's a personal wound that comes from that. Even new people. New people come to church really wanting to connect with other people. People don't come to church to be ignored, forgotten, disregarded, uncared for. New people come to church because they're wondering, is this the place I should go? Is this the place I should fellowship? Is this a place I should be? Because it could be. They're wounded from another church. But there's not just personal wounds that occur here. There's also leadership wounds. What about the people here who brought the unfortunate word, I think, complaint? Because now we say they're complainers. They're not complainers. These are men and women who watching in the ministry of the church notice there's people being neglected and forgotten and say, we need to tell the leaders that these people aren't being cared for. And what are the leaders going to do? And there's leadership wounds that occur too. These are harder to put your finger on. It's not as personal Oh, the first one you get from a leadership ruins. it feel like you're dismissed by leaders. You know, you come and tell them, hey, this should be taken care of. Something's being overlooked, and they go, uh-huh, okay, okay, we'll take care of that. Three weeks later, same thing happens. You come and tell them again, and they dismiss it again. Or if leaders come along and say, okay, I'll get back to you on that, and they never get back to you. They don't respond to your emails. They don't respond to your texts don't respond to your Facebook post. don't respond to their Twitter account. don't respond to their Instagram account. Are there more accounts you can respond to? Whatever they are. <laughs> and you just feel like you're dismissed by leaders. And also, it's like, you know, the leadership here just seems like they dismiss them. But the more painful one is not when you're dismissed. It's the distrust of leaders. When all of a sudden we have this wound of, you know, it just seems like they're just not as transparent about things as they should be. When we talk about the ministry here, it seems like they tell us part of it, but not quite all of it. When we go through the financial report, it seems like there's pieces missing, but I can't figure out what they are. We start somehow watching their conduct and say... You know, I've seen them out in public and they just seem like I don't know if they should be doing that. Or if you listen to how they put things together you start wondering about is that really ethically sound? Should we really do that? Is that really Christianly of how that's handled? And you have all these questions about how the leaders do things. And it creates this distrust of like I don't know if I can trust these leaders. Folks, when we lose the trust in our leadership It's a great wound in our heart. And then we wrestle with, can I stay under this leadership that I don't trust? And the wound, the wound is great. hard to put a finger on. Really difficult even when you visit another church. Because it creates a question of, can you trust any leaders in a church? But but there's a third kind of wound here. Last week I was... uh, with a friend, and we were uh, doing a consultation with a church that um, um, is, is actually dying. When, when you think of life of the church, there's a life cycle of the church where it starts off and there's all that great, great growth, a new church planet grows and excites and everything gets good. There's a time in the life of the church when all of a sudden it goes on the opposite side of growth and it starts losing people and decline and not taking care of it can actually die. Uh, this church is on this side. And we did all these interviews with people, probably interviewed about 25 families and individuals. In the process, one of the questions we asked them is What do you think contributed to the decline of of your church? Almost every one of them said the same thing. We've had two church splits in the last eight years. Now, who are we talking to? We are not talking to the people who left the church. We're talking to the people who stayed in the church. Have you thought about the fact there's collateral wounds? It's the people who actually stay behind. As we sat there listening to the folks, it was really sad. Here they are talking about the loss of friends, not just any friend. Someone talked about losing their best friend who left the church. They, They talked about the the best friends of their kids who left the church. They talk about the small group they were in, and most of them left the church. They just talk about the loss that they had and that collateral wounds of those left behind in a split. Uh, let me suggest there's another collateral wound that I don't think we think of, especially as parents, As parents, when we have this distrust of leadership, and we make that decision, we can't stay here anymore, we pack up and take our whole family with us. And we do it for conscience sake, our own convictions. And those could all be right and good. But don't forget, your kids, they don't understand that. They have no problems with their conscience. No problem with their convictions. And you just took them away from all their friends in Owana. You just took them away from all their friends in the youth group. You just took them away from all the kids they look forward to see on a Sunday morning. And your kids have been caught in that collateral wound when you've left the church. And then you wonder, when you think you're finding the new church, why they don't connect as quickly as you wanted them to. Not aware that they're collateral wounds that have not healed. It's a painful thing to think about when we go through this passage. That even in New Testament times, people were wounded by the church. It's interesting how the wound was taken care of here, though. Uh, the leaders actually respond Verses 2 to 6, here's what they do. Take note of this. When the 12 summoned the congregation of disciples, they said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve table. What's it tell me? Here's how leaders lead. Here's how healing takes place. Here's how healthy churches function. What happens when you hear about divisions, about complaints, about people neglected? How do leaders respond? How will that be healed in a church? It tells us here it'll happen when they listen. And the apostles listened to what they heard. They didn't dismiss it. They immediately heard what was said. What did they do then? They're gonna put a plan together. Here's our plan. Verse three. But select from among yourselves, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of spirit of wisdom, whom we may put in charge. They've got a plan, they got people together, and then they engage the people. They don't dismiss them. They actually engage the people to participate. How are we going to address this problem? How are we going to address this division? What are we going to do about this? And the leaders engage the people. They've got a plan, and then they say this, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose. Don't you love when you're in a Bible study and you get a list of names like this? And you're reading around the room, you know, and each, by, each person's taking a verse. And you've looked ahead and you're counting it off and, oh, no. I've got the Jebusites, the Hittites, and the termites. What am I going to do? And you you find yourself rumbling through them. And then it happens when your, your group leader gets the opportunity and you're like, oh, good, let's see what they do with that. Here's what they do. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose a group of men. Pretty good, huh? Actually, it's important to pay attention to their names here because they're all Greek names. Hmm. Interesting. Greek names. Why? Greek women who are being overlooked. Maybe the Greek men. That doesn't mean they're necessarily Greek. We all name our kids using names of other cultures. Really? Any of your kids with biblical names? Daniel, Ezra, Metamica—the other day. Well, those are not English-spoken names. We speak them, but they're actually Hebrew names. So they could be Hebrew people from Palestine. Potentially, they have Greek names. So all of a sudden, they part, start particip- participating. They engage them in the process. as they engage them in the process, what we're going to find is the leaders actually what lead. They actually lead and as they start leading we find themselves bringing resolution to this it comes down and it says what they do in verse six and these they brought before the apostles and after praying they laid hands on them why what's different in a healthy church when there's division there's conflict when there's trouble when people are neglected leaders care The apostles listened to this whole thing, and their whole response was, we need to care for these people. And how did they care? They shared the leadership with new leaders. All of a sudden, they realized there's a responsibility we have here. We need to care for these widows. How are we going to do that? We need to care for them. That's how healthy churches respond. I I mean, when we're wounded by a church, what we're supposed to do, Luke's telling us, look, seek the unity of the church. What? Through your church leaders. It's like, wow, what a great idea. Whew! Whew. That makes sense, doesn't it? If I have trouble in the church, I don't feel like I'm cared for, I tell the leaders and the leaders will respond. I'll get unity in the church and I'll seek them out and what will happen? They'll care for me. And that's all the answer and that's the end of the message. So folks, take care of the wounds that you have. We're all like, wait a second. Wait a second. And they lived happily ever after that's not true is it we've all faced the wounds that don't get healed and many of us have been in churches which the leaders didn't care and all of a sudden we found ourselves not in that church anymore so what happens when we're wounded by the church we're seeking the unity through christ And the leaders don't care. Turn with me to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. Interesting passage we have here. Ezekiel is uh, bringing a word of God to the leaders to the nation of Israel. In doing it, he's bringing a charge against them of what they are not doing. And all of a sudden, it's going to tell us what happens and what it looks like when leaders do not care. What becomes their motive? What becomes their attitude? What becomes their sin? When they don't care. Chapter 34, starting at verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat, clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The disease, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought them back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. Now that's the prophecy against the leaders who do not care. The question is then, so God, what do they do? What do the sheep do when the leaders don't care? when I've been wounded and hurt by the church, when I'm seeking the unity of the church, what do I do when the leaders don't care? Where do I turn to then? Look at verses um, 15 and 16. Lord tells us he's going to raise up a shepherd, and it's going to be his shepherd, and here's what his shepherd does. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the scattered. I will bind up the broken, and I will strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. What's he tell us here? When all of a sudden we find that the leaders do not show care for us, When we're wounded, we all of a sudden, when we're wounded, seek the unity of the church, not through our church leaders now, but through the good shepherd. Somehow we find ourselves turning to Christ in a new and different way. And all of a sudden, when all that wound occurs, and we find ourselves saying, I can't be here, we're not abandoned, but that wound, that wound still needs to be healed. And that healing is going to come through the good shepherd of the sheep, the chief shepherd of the sheep. That's who's going to bind up that wound. And how will he do that? Go back to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, I think there's six things here that we can pick up on that help us understand how that good shepherd's going to work with us We've got that wound, and the church leaders have not cared for us. How does the good shepherd care for his sheep? First, what we need to do is pray for wisdom. Here's why I say that: when all of a sudden he's picking out the men to be leaders in the church, in verse um, three, there it says they will be full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and then it speaks of Stephen in particular down in verse five is full of faith in the holy spirit so wisdom becomes an important thing you can write this down james 3 13 to 18 talks about two kinds of wisdom wisdom from above and wisdom from below wisdom from below is driven by selfish ambition our own desires envy and jealousy and and, and when all of a sudden we're wounded by a church there's really anger that sets in there Uh, there's really bitterness that comes in There's a frustration, there's a disappointment, there's a loss of so many things that we've invested in. And all of a sudden we find ourselves just crushed by what the church has done to us. And as we step away, it's wisdom of this world that can set in our hearts. But we need to pray for wisdom, godly wisdom, that ability to maintain righteousness in difficult circumstances. We read there in James 3, it says the mark of that heavenly wisdom, it brings peace. Where? Partly in our souls. Oh, we need peace. Oh, we've been wounded by a church. We try to go to sleep at night. Our mind just races back to all those things that have happened. And we think about them over and over again. We wake up at 2 or 3 in the morning. And we're wrestling with the things that have happened. Why? Because we don't have peace in our souls. And also we need to pray for wisdom. For that second thing we find here is we find the leaders are going to commit themselves to prayer what we just spoke of and to the ministry of the word so you need to study the word we forget the power of the word and what it can really do for us and you really need to study it not just breathe through it real quick but just study the word psalm 19 just comes through and actually says what does the word of god do it enlightens our soul more than that, it refreshes, refreshes. Folks, when we're wounded and hurt, we're struggling with those emotions in our soul. Don't you need the word of God to somehow just, just sort of reign over it, somehow to stream over it, somehow to flow through it, to somehow refresh, refresh, refresh our minds, refresh our soul, that we feel some healing taking place. Because what we feel. That wound, that hurts. And that word may actually come in and start, and this is painful, but start scrubbing to clean out our heart to make sure it's right. There's a third thing we do here, and that is you need to find a what? A caring church. Look, the scriptures identify, it seems to me, three things that fill our tank to keep us going, to grow us spiritually. One's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes in and dwells you. The moment you trust in Christ is your personal sight. You're filled with Spirit. I mean, it dwells you immediately. And the Spirit's there to work in your life. The second thing we find that actually fills us and encourages us is the Word of God. Oh, it has this capacity to judge our thoughts and intentions. It can also be cut between joint and marrow. It can go down to the very ligaments in our lives. It's like, wow, the power of the Word of God. But you know the third thing that builds us up, that really encourages us, are the people of God. And oftentimes when we get wounded, what we find ourselves do is we start stepping away from that church. But you know what the unfortunate thing is, folks? We start walking away from the church. That's not me, is it? Mine's on. I don't even have mine. The whole idea—we walk away from the church—and what you need to be realizing: no, the care comes where—in the church. Now, instead of Teddy Roosevelt, some think it's John Maxwell, but I like Teddy Roosevelt and said, "People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care." Boy, don't you want to be cared for when you've been wounded? I mean, when I went into the emergency room, it was painful but I wanted to be cared for. I wanted that, that foot bandaged up and cleaned and cared for. Don't you want somebody to care for your wound? Don't you want to come in and assist you with the wound? Don't you want to bring healing to the wound? Don't you want somebody to care, to really care for you with that wound? It's going to be the church, and you need to find a church that cares, not just one that you know, one that cares for you. That's what this church was. Acts 6 was a caring church. Not that they didn't have problems. It's when they found a problem, they cared. They cared for the people when they were neglected. They cared for the people when they were forgotten. When they found out what was wrong, they cared. And you need to find a church that cares. There's a fourth thing here to do out of Acts here. What we find is in verse 1 there, he talks about complaint arose. You actually have to share your stories like, what? How did the leaders know how to minister to the widows and to those who brought up the complaint. Because they were silent? Because they decided not to share anything? decided not to talk about it. Well, I don't want to gossip. You don't want you to hear. No, the healing came because they talked about it. When we get wounded, when we get hurt, in order for to heal, somebody needs to know you've been wounded. Think about when you go to a doctor. You go to the doctor and, and all of a sudden all you say is, I got to, have this pain. Well, what's he say? Doctor, or what does she say? They immediately start asking you questions. Where's it hurt? Well, it hurts about here. How long has it been hurting? They ask you question after question after question to find out why you hurt, how you hurt, when it started hurting, why? So they can make a diagnosis for what purpose? To heal, to heal you. Folks, when we come and been wounded and hurt by the church, There's a place where you need to be able to share your story. People have to hear how you got hurt in order that they can care for you now. That healing can take place. All of a sudden, that healing that you really want occurs. It occurs because we share our story. And that's hard to do. I mean, who wants to sound like they're a church hopper? Who wants to let people know, I, I had to, you have to share your story. It's going to bring the healing to your soul when you share it with people who care. Not gossips. People who care. Who then can love on you and lie the wounds that you suffered to bring healing to your soul. Fifth one here is, it talks about this, and I thought this was quite interesting. A criteria for uh, Stephen there. He's full of the Holy Spirit. You need to be one who's walking by the Spirit and not the flesh. Oh, we know what our flesh looks like. That anger, that bitterness, all all that stuff we like to feel. It's like, you can't do that. What's the contrast? You walk by the Spirit. What's the Spirit look like? Fruit of the Spirit. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Oh, self-control. Oh, no, 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 no. Not self-control. Lips, no self control, but there's self control why well, we need to walk by the Spirit, folks. It's hard, but it's walking by the Spirit. And the last one here there's a need to wait for the healing growth. The mark of the church of what happened that was good. Notice how good this church was when they dressed the problem, the division all took place. Verse 7 and the Word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples continued to increase. They started growing again. When? After they addressed what? The division, the trouble, the pain, the neglect, and actually cared again. It restored the possibility of growth again. And for us, when we've been wounded, what we're looking for is healthy growth again. How does that work? You know how it works? If you've been wounded by a church, you do not come to church and first say, I'm ready to serve. No, you come to church, you hide. Oh, no, they got that meet and greet time. (sighs) Fortunately, we don't make the visitors stand up. <laughs> Before we do that, rush! Can you find them now? It's a whole idea. What do you do? It's like, you want to get up? Get out and go. Now all of a sudden, it changes. All of a sudden, you're, you're glad to sit a little longer. And you know, if you sit in the same seat, you'll meet the other four or five people that sit in the same seat, too. They're there every week. And all of a sudden, you get to know people. Then all of a sudden, one day, you're like this. You know? I used to do this in the other church I was in. I used to serve and use my gift this way. Maybe I'll use my gift here. And all of a sudden you start serving. Using your gift, why? Because you're healing. You find yourself growing again. You know, folks, it's not a question if we get wounded by the church. Even in a healthy church, like Acts 6, people were wounded. That's never a question we can get wounded. It's a question how we deal with the wounds that we have. Even in a healthy and good church, we get wounded. But as we bring the things forward, what we're looking for, do our leaders really care to respond? But if somehow you've left the church because they don't seem to care, And what you look to is the care of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd who cares for you. And as the head of the church, who wants to bring you back to a church that cares for you too. Let's close in prayer. And um, it's a prayer I actually found. I'm just, let me, I'll, I'll say this first. We really value extemporaneous prayer, which I'm for, but this is one of those occasions I found this, and I thought so appropriate to talk about the times when we're really wounded, when we're really hurt, and what a prayer speaks from our heart. So let's pray. Lord, we pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for our family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing. We pray for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. Lord, and all the while, you hear each spoken need. and love us away too much to give us lesser things. Lord, we pray for wisdom. We pray for your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you're near. Sometimes, God, we... We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love, as if every promise from your word is just not enough. And all the while, though, you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. Lord, when friends betray us, Lord, when the darkness seems to win, Lord, we know the pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes now to know you are near? What if my greatest disappointments or aching of this life is a revealing of a greater thirst this world cannot satisfy? What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, the church wounds are your mercies in disguise? Amen. Amen.